0: Hi, I'm Jeff, lead pastor of Northview Community Church in Abbotsford, British Columbia. And this podcast is where I get a chance to interview people about things that I'm interested in and talk about whatever I want to talk about.
1: Welcome back to another pre-conversation conversation. I am the producer, but you can call me Levi.
0: That's because you produce, baby.
1: Oh yeah, big time. Uh, Jeff, we've done a lot of hot takes, but I, I want to do a heart take. How are you doing today?
0: I'm okay. I'm like a six out of ten.
1: And normally you are I uh... I don't know. Okay.
0: I'm probably normally a six out okay. of ten. Okay. I always find it's hard because uh, I tend to be a really honest person. Right. And uh, life in the fallen world is kind of 6 out of 10-ish mm. to me, and uh, I love Jesus, and he loves me, and that is amazing, but I look, for, I look forward to the day when the rain, rule and reign of the Babylonian city is over.
1: I think life is a 6 out of 10 is how the message translates most of Ecclesiastes. Yeah, basically. <laughs> Okay, well, we, I appreciate your candor. I just wanted to start off on a, Thanks, on a personal note That's this be time. Kind. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we have a couple of things we're going to get into today. Uh, the first one I wanted to throw your way, Jeff, is there's a river in Quebec that has been granted personhood, mm. and that comes with it all kinds of legal rights and protections. Uh, this was a, an effort to try and make sure that the river is treated properly and conserved.
0: Do you know what its pronouns are?
1: I am not sure. The article was not that specific.
0: Well, you know what? How horrible of them! That's
1: inconsistent of them. I think it yeah. is
0: inconsistent
1: of them. Yeah,
0: that's that's amazing, right? I mean, of course, you can see it in the in the you know kind of animistic background that that uh, a lot of indigenous folks uh, grew up with. So. Yeah, they they think trees are people or have personhood, and uh, and all sorts of the the earth itself has personhood, and so it doesn't surprise me that they say that that river has personhood. When I lived in New Zealand, uh, the Maori people had that kind of attitude toward the Waikato River and other things like that. It was a, it was a it was an individual. It's also a little bit cheeky, right? So there's a there's the cheekiness is well, this is the way we're going to protect it from from go- the government, that in, if you do anything to this river, you're doing it to, basically, it's like you doing it to somebody somebody else, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, a helpful approach, I suppose, for them. But, you know, uh, I, I, we live in, a, in an interesting world where, where we don't really know what a person is anymore. Like, the definitions of personhood are, are I would like to know what, what makes a person a person in the world that we live in today. Uh, clearly, it, it's not like historically we've always said like, oh you have to have a mind, will and emotions. I don't think the river has an emotion. Maybe it does. Maybe it, it gets it's angry. Everyone heard that? The, the sea is angry today. Mm-hmm. That maybe rivers get angry uh, and stuff, but maybe they posit that that's what it's feeling. But ultimately, I just you know, there's the idea that we don't know what a human is and what a person is is re- probably the reason that we end up treating humans and persons with such disregard unfortunately, and that they're malleable, right? You can, I make jokes about the pronouns, but you can, you can, you know, you can change, chop and change them to be what you want, because we can just define it however we we like.
1: Yeah. Uh, Your your family has a pet dog, yes? Yes. Are you one of those families where the dog is treated like an equal member with, uh, along with your children?
0: Uh, not equal member, but uh, he is he is cared for. Yes, mm-hmm. in ways. Although uh, we are not quite as committed to that. Like we're not the. Hey, he needs cancer treatment. We're like, no, nah, that's not going to happen. Mm. Like- uh, he's also going insane. My dog. <laughs> he's thirteen year old lab. Oh, yeah, he's insane. He stands actually at walls now and barks at them, which is it, it's odd. It's very odd. Uh, then you try to get in front of his face, and he's like, oh, oh yeah, you're here. Do you see this wall? It's very mean. Yeah.
1: He was. He you said he's a lab, so he was yeah. never small enough to go in a purse. No. Was he no, ever? No, was he no, ever in a? But stroller? But we used
0: to put him in a stroller. No, we did not. <laughs> we did not. I've been lots of places where the dogs are in the strollers, though. I always take, want to take a picture of it, but I feel awkward with the the people standing there. That's,
1: yeah, I think some people buy like a, a twin a stroller for twins if they have a child and a dog, so they can put them both in there. Sometimes.
0: The one people drive with their dogs mm-hmm. a lot. That's mm-hmm. that's always an interesting thing to see. The little dog with his paws on the steering wheel, or they've got he's got his face out of the window, and they're holding him in their left arm as they drive with their right. So apparently, you you can't you can't talk on a cell phone, but you can hold the dog. So, hey,
1: <laughs> those, I love the laws. Those are just the rules. <laughs> we we live within them. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Speaking of dogs, uh, there's something happening in the dog days of summer oh this word. year. That's a good one. You like that? I do. Uh, so typically there's a international, well, inter-European soccer competition every four years called the Euro Cup. Jeff, you have talked before about uh, how you are a supporter of a specific English soccer team, Arsenal. Yeah. But I want people to, to peel back a little bit behind that and understand why. Because you're from the States. Yes. Yeah, not, not everybody there is a soccer right. fan, are they? No. Why you? Okay,
0: here's the history. Uh, 1994, the, the World Cup was in the United States. Uh, I started watching it. I grew up playing soccer, thought it was a great game, started watching it, thought it was amazing. It was cool, the, the, the pageantry, all that kind of stuff. There's a guy named Dennis Bergkamp who was on the Dutch national team, and he made a play where the ball was kicked really, really high in the air. He was near the goal. The ball, he, he cushioned it with one foot, it hung in the air and he turned and hit it with the other foot and scored a goal. I have never seen anybody do that in my life. I could never, I, it was amazing. I kept, they keep replaying it and I was stunned. So I started to like him and I followed him in the tournament and finally uh, found out that he was going to play for a team named Arsenal. So I started watching them. They had a bunch of French t- players on their team uh, and. And they Arsenal started winning titles, and they were undefeated. And during that time, the French national team, which had mostly Arsenal players on it, won the European Championships and the World Cup. So that settled it for me. I was an Arsenal fan and a French national team fan. Hmm. So even though they won, uh, they won the the World Cup just. The other year, mm-hmm. and uh, they the winning of the World Cup. The guy who was their striker was uh, was a former Arsenal player named Olivier Giroud, mm. the most handsome man in the world. That's- and so, uh, yeah, so that's that's who I cheer for. I'm in it with the French. I think they're I think they're great. I think they got a shot at winning it the European Championships because they always have a shot at winning everything mm-hmm. all the time.
1: My early, so I'm also a soccer fan. My earliest soccer memory also involves France, uh, but it was Zinedine Zidane's headbutt. Yeah, right
0: to the chest
1: of um, the Italian guy. Yeah. yeah, that's yeah. the first soccer game I remember watching. Yeah, uh, it was a bit of crazy, eh? Yeah, it, was, it drew. It's me, not usually drew me the kind right of in. thing you
0: want to do uh, oh. in 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 uh, extra time. I think it was an extra time that he did that. Yeah. Well, did that one? You're like, mm, I don't know. <laughs>
1: He'd like, been really important for them up to that point. Yeah, he, but, a, he
0: was a great player. Yeah.
1: Zizou. Zizou. Algerian yeah. guy. French Algerian. Right. Yeah. So
0: I uh, I highly recommend people to start watching the European championships. It should be great. I think that you, they're actually going to have lots and lots of people watching, like live. Mm. It's, it'll be one of the first kind of big live sporting events that comes back. Baseball's trying it. But I think that they're going for a lot, a lot of people in, in Europe this summer because of the levels of uh, vaccination and all that. So... Mm. It'll be fun to see stadiums full again. Yeah. Right? And having people there screaming their heads off and blowing their vuvuzelas. (laughs) Anyway, it's a horn.
1: Yeah, great. Uh, The biggest contribution of that South Africa World Cup to sports, the future of sports. Uh, We just talked about a soccer tournament that'll involve people of all nations. And we're going to move now into an interview Jeff did with Shayla Visser, who helps lead Alpha Canada, uh, which concerns bringing the gospel to the nations. And so we uh, think she has a lot of really valuable things to say about uh, why we need to evangelize, how uh, we can have confidence to evangelize, uh, why it matters, all kinds of things like that. And we trust you'll benefit from that conversation.
0: Hi, this is Jeff, and we are with um, a, a dear woman who I heard speak at a conference while ago Uh, and she was easily the most intriguing speaker at the conference and since then I've been wanting to connect with her. Uh, She is uh, very much a friend of friends so this is kind of one of the first times she and I've ever sat down and chatted. Her name is Shayla Visser and Shayla you are involved with Alpha Canada. Is that your official role?
2: Yeah yeah I head up Alpha Canada and I work with Alpha International as a senior vice president so I help you know on a few different I help in a few different ways with evangelism globally
0: right that's fantastic um i I wanted to just find out about your background a little bit to begin with. I will be some in some cases learning all along with the people who are listening, so maybe that that's either a very dangerous thing or a very good thing, so we'll find out how dangerous or good it is but um, yeah where where are you from, and how did you come to faith in christ and uh How in the world did you become the international superstar evangelist like master?
2: Well, I'll say I'm not yet that. So yet being the operative word, not that I will ever get there, but uh, let me just give you a couple I think a couple of vignettes of my life that will help paint the picture of how did I ever end up in alpha? How did I end up in evangelism work? My parents are immigrants. They came from India. My mom is British, but she was born in India, went back to England for school, and then went back to India to teach. Met my dad. They got married. Disowned in the process. White, Indian, marrying, not so good. Parents got over it eventually, and it's all been fine for quite some time. But um, I grew up in an immigrant family, and I grew up with a mother who took me to church and a father who wasn't interested in it. He was a Christmas and Easter Christian. I'm seventh generation Christian on my Indian side. And uh, we can go back and tell the story. We have the actual story, the first conversion in our family seven generations ago. So there's, there's a number of interesting nuances when you have a family from India, where you have family, friends and relatives who are outside of the Christian faith, and they would come through our home. So first of all, immigrant family defines me a little bit. Secondly, uh, having a father who didn't go to church and a mother who did defines me. Third, growing up in a very rural church helps define me. But here's a couple of interesting things. We had people from all over the world come and stay with us. And in those days, no one came for a week, it was more like six weeks. And I watched as my mother was passionate about how can I demonstrate and speak Christ to everyone. So my dad's best friend and his wife came, practicing Hindus, vegetarians, cannot eat out of a pot or a pan that has had meat in it. My mom buys all new pots and pans so that she can love them in Christ's name. But then she also would share faith. She cared about our neighbors. She prayed for people. And so I really grew up in a home where I watched this interesting dynamic of a father who's not interested in a mother who's passionately committed to Jesus and doing everything she can to introduce as many people as she can to Jesus. So fast forward, I, um, Grew up in Southwestern Ontario, went to the University of Western Ontario here on college. And when I went off to university, I thought, Jesus is really on the back burner, like no interest, not cool, not going to get me where I want to go. And so I just threw him on the back burner. But I met the most amazing woman in my last year of university. I was doing student leadership things, playing some sports. Uh, Really, I'm not sure how I passed university, but I did because I did so many other things. But in my last year of university, I met this woman from Chilliwack, Sardis, believe it or not, who loved Jesus. And she was so compelling. And she just loved me. She was blonde and beautiful and athletic and and kind and generous. And most people at university, although you meet great people, and I did know a lot of great people, she was literally otherworldly in her ability to love well and be unselfish with her time, her money, her energy. And it just won me over. And I was like, I want what she has. But at the University of Western Ontario, 35,000 students, I met two Christians in that whole time.
0: Holy smokes.
2: So, you know, I'm passionate about reaching young people because I just realized if it wasn't for her and she was one person, who else was going to help me? Who else is going to reach the students that didn't even have a Christian background? So... Yeah, I'm passionate about evangelism and from that day on because of her example and my mother's growing up my head and my heart met all the knowledge that had been given to me as a child met up in this moment that I committed my life to Jesus and I just took off. It's the only way to explain it. I took off, filled with the spirit, excited about helping people meet Jesus and went to work in Toronto for my first job.
0: What was your first job? What did you do?
2: I was in marketing. And, uh, yeah, I did a kinesiology degree. No one ever believes that kinesiology degree. I really rebelled against what my family thought I should do, which was a business degree. I was like, no, I like sports better. And I thought I'll just do sports and then I'll do sports management. And that was the trajectory. I wanted to be in sports management in the NBA, which is so far away from where I ended up.
0: Really? Wow. Sports management in the NBA. (laughs) agent. Is that what you're thinking? You could have been an agent.
2: I didn't know. Or like I a general know.
0: manager for the Toronto Raptors. Is that I, what you're thinking?
2: I, I just knew <laughs> I had leadership tendencies that were playing out all through my life. And I knew I could do something with them. And I loved sports and I loved basketball.
0: Yeah. you still love basketball?
2: Well, I don't quite love it as much as I used to. My brother has made a whole business of it. And so my family were real sports men and women. And yeah. It's, I love sports. I just don't do it as much as I used to.
0: Yeah. So I'm assuming that the way that you got, uh, you know, got involved in Alpha eventually was because of your passion for evangelism uh, that was kind of stoked by your mom and that you found in in yourself as you were uh, looking around the the university there. Yeah. So uh, like how exactly though, why Alpha? And how did you get involved with that?
2: Many what is Alpha?
0: Some of you list and they not have a clue. Alpha is like the Greek first letter, so what? Yeah,
2: so let me explain what Alpha is in a second, but answer why Alpha first. Here's what my interesting journey was. Many people thought, oh, you love evangelism. Alpha really works. You love the local church, therefore Alpha. But what people didn't realize is I grew up in an Anglican church. Alpha was based out of an Anglican church. I grew up with a charismatic Anglican mother. That was also HTB, the place that launched Alpha. I grew up with a mother who in the summers when we didn't have Sunday school, took us to all the different types of churches around, including black gospel halls in Detroit, um, brethren churches where women sit on the outside, men on the inside, Catholic churches, because she wanted us to realize as children, Jesus is in all these places. And so when I came to Alpha, where unity for the proclamation of the gospel and the fruitfulness of the gospel is so important, I actually realized, oh my goodness, this aligns with who I am inside of me as someone committed to evangelism it's not just oh alpha's a great tool in the hands of the church it was i believe in unity for the proclamation of the gospel i believe jesus can be found in all the churches all sorts of churches that we wouldn't necessarily theologically agree with and then i knew but especially,
0: knew, right? but especially <laughs> yeah I, I just i mean i just want to make it clear to people there are, there's a little bit more of him in some than others. Exactly, just- of
2: course, yeah. of course. But I think you know, growing up with that, with a mother who was passionate, where I I really saw it. But also the fact that she knew how to do hospitality brilliantly, and how winsome that was for people that didn't know Jesus. And I just saw Alpha as putting a core value is hospitality, is opening up your home, opening up a table. And so, so many of the key values of Alpha, I was like, yep, that's me. That's my family of origin. That's who I am. So not only am I passionate about evangelism, not only do I see God using Alpha all around the world, um, I just think this is where I belong. This is my tribe.
0: Yeah. So what is it? What is Alpha?
2: So Alpha was started in 1993, formally outside of Holy Trinity, Brompton in central London. It was started as a course in the 1970s for people that were new to faith, and it evolved over the years. 1991, Nikki Gumbel, Gumbel took it over. He's the vicar of Holy Trinity Brompton in central London. He then made it into something that people could use um, in their congregation to invite their friends to that had no Christian upbringing. They could be a different religion from a different country. They could be complete atheists within London, and it just took off. It was so incredible that by 1993, So he'd had it in his hands for two years. They decided to run a conference because they were getting requests from all over the UK. And they decided, oh, we'll run a conference. We'll get 200 people. And very quickly, they had over 1,000 register. And they realized this is bigger than we thought it was going to be. And Nikki Gumbel will be the first to say that this course, which has components to it, uh, was never intended to go beyond their church. But God just blew wind into it. His Holy Spirit blew wind. So... Alpha really looks like a number of components. Alpha includes hospitality and a meal usually, although Alpha Online is different right now. It includes a talk, which depending on if it's a youth talk or for adults, it's about 25 minutes. And then it's followed up by open facilitation. So it's not like a Bible study. It's meant to be run by people that understand how to facilitate conversation. So people feel safe and warm and welcome. I'll give you an example from my current alpha online that I'm running, that uh, I have people that have some Christian background, but haven't been to church maybe since they were five years old. I have an atheist on my course. And what's happened is we've created a space online where people feel safe to bring their biggest questions about life and meaning and a place where they can be loved and accepted for who they are right now. So that's really alpha. And we just welcome everyone to that table to experience Jesus together.
0: So is that, that seems to be uh, the, the um, distinctive of Alpha, though, and one of the reasons why it was such a different approach is because most, I mean, a lot of, um, well, you know, 70s and 80s, there's real tent meetings type stuff. And Alpha is not a tent meeting. You know what I mean by tent meeting, right? You yeah. know, you can put the great preacher in and they stand up in front of everyone and you ask everybody to come and at the end you have this altar call where people come forward. Alpha is not that. It's, it's, it's a process. More, yeah, it's more of a discussion. Uh, you know, here's some material for people to hear. And then, uh, and then there's like, yeah, a real openness. Have you found, um, like what, what are some of the stories that you found have happened in alpha that would, that would encourage people that people are coming to faith in Christ, even in, in secular places?
2: Well, I can tell you about my, literally my alpha right now work towards the end of it. And I have one guest that, um, we turned off the video on week three, why did Jesus die? She would not consider herself a Christian. And when I said to everybody, so what did you think? How did it make you feel? And she was just weeping. And she said, I've never heard anything so beautiful. And, and you know, we forget that lots of people think they've heard the gospel in Canada. Now, there's lots that haven't, for sure. But lots of people think they know who Jesus is. And then they get in a room with other people in a safe environment. And they realized I had no clue how wonderful he is. And so week by week, I've just watched as these women have gone through Alpha together, who are now open to praying together, open to reading the Bible. And we did the topic of uh, why and how should I read the Bible? And before I even said anything about, here's a suggestion of how you could read the Bible, one guest is telling another guest, oh, I found out that Nikki Gumbel has this Bible in one year, and they have a long version, but they have the 10-minute express version. You guys should try it. I'm loving it. And, you know, all of a sudden, the guest is telling the other guest how to read the Bible, and they're all downloading, you know, version Bible app on their phone, and they're saying, should we get notifications, Shayla? And one of the women who um, has decided to put her faith and trust in Christ on Alpha, said, oh, I love the push notifications. I have mine coming at three o'clock every day, and I watch at my phone at 2.55 to say, what does God want to say to me right now? And she said, every day at three o'clock, I think, wow, God really knows what's going on in my life.
0: Do you think that most Christians are, get the encouragement from that, that you have from that? Or is it, how do I say that, that... Maybe I'm leading you to ask a question about the state of evangelism in Canada, and ultimately uh, i I wonder uh, why it is that we struggle so much with it so let me let me just jump into there
2: i okay well, let me turn the question on you for a second okay because this is this is where I think it starts. How do you make Jesus more wonderful in jeff bucknam's life? How is Jesus increasing in beauty in um how are you finding him more wonderful on an ongoing basis?
0: To be honest with you, the, my answer to that question is increased risk-taking, okay. um, which probably, uh, and to be honest, I'll be absolutely honest, it's not, not in evangelism like it ought to be. In fact, that's one of the questions I, I'm, I'm going to have for you is in terms of like how do you help non-people who don't, it, it doesn't come naturally to, or introverts or others like that, to, to become more invitey, and how, can you give some Uh, you know some words of encouragement to them but you know i get to know jesus better because uh when i take a chance and when i risk and i see him come through in in ways uh, i find his character of faithfulness to come through and it warms my heart Mm -hmm. to his particular love and care and devotion to me um whereas normally if i'm not taking risks I don't know. I can get I can get very uh, complacent and apathetic toward things. You know, it's hard being a pastor sometimes because you handle the things of God so frequently that the the familiarity doesn't breed contempt, but it breeds kind of a eh, Mm -hmm. eh, sort of. Well, I
2: feel I feel the same way for evangelism, right? Like this is my vocational business, like it's my ministry. But how do I push myself? And this is what I think every Christian, but particularly church leaders and Christian leaders, have to ask themselves. Is is Jesus becoming more wonderful in my life? Because that's how you keep evangelism hot. If you, if you want, like literally this morning before um, I came into this, I was spending time with two friends on a Zoom call, opening the word of God together. And she and I, it was a friend, our friend Daryl, who was leading us, and she and I were like, Isn't Jesus amazing? And I started to cry at the end of it, and I said, how can we not want the whole world to know this, right? Like he is the most remarkable human being to have ever lived, the most remarkable God we could ever imagine. And I think it's that ongoing passion that Jesus is becoming better in your life, not because of you, but because of him that allows us to keep evangelism a priority because we just want the whole world to know.
0: So you would that would be your advice to somebody who says you know like I say I struggle with evangelism, which I think a lot of people would say, especially in modern world, I I struggle to share the faith with people. I feel stupid sometimes. I'm worried that my friends will reject me. Whatever it is, your advice would be: uh, well, the solution isn't go go out and do do more. It's to get deeper into your relationship with Jesus and know Him better, more.
2: Well, I'd say it's like concentric circles. If we say evangelism is the bullseye you know, which is what we're talking about today. It's the concentric circles. Do you need um, to understand how to create a neighborhood culture of invitation? Do you need to understand what that looks like in your life? Do you need to overcome fear, the next concentric circle, fear, Um, and uh, your reputation, what people will think of you? Uh, Do you need to overcome the cultural norms around you? You know, what is it that you need to overcome? And then you go, you know, you kind of go further out. And the concentric circle, if, if you're not asking the how do I invite question? uh, And you're not asking the, how do I build relationships with my friends question? And you're not fearful and you're still not wanting to do it. Then you have to go back to the source of, is Jesus becoming greater in my life? So people can have Jesus greater in their life on an ongoing basis and still not do evangelism. And it's because they have a few other steps of how do I do this? What can I use? I don't have the answers. I'm fearful of what people may think or how they may reject me. So I would say that making Jesus greater is just good for every Christian. But if if you are are there, keep going. And actually evangelism can make Jesus greater because as you said, you have to practice faith. And I know for me, the hardest part of evangelism is fear, trust, um reputation, what will people think of me? So there's so many things I have to get over in my head just to invite someone to anything.
0: How do you overcome those?
2: Well, I just have to admit, Jeff, that I'm in the work of evangelism and I find evangelism very hard. So let me just start with that and say a couple years ago, I had a real crisis while leading Alpha Canada. And the crisis was this, I had lost faith and hope that evangelism was fruitful in Vancouver because I saw so many people wanting to go to Whistler, so many people wanting to go to yoga class, so many wanting to train for a marathon on a Sunday. They didn't want to go to church and they weren't interested. They're were very spiritual, but not interested. And I actually had to confess that I was starting to believe my own reading of the culture rather than the reading of scripture. And the scripture tells us the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. And I kind of justified it by saying, oh, the harvest is plentiful in Africa. It's, it's plentiful in Asia. That's where God's being plentiful. But really, in my heart of hearts, I had to confess, I did not believe it could be or was um, plentiful in Vancouver. And as I started to confess that, I also, reading through the book of John again, recognized that the Holy Spirit is the great evangelist. And I needed to take the weight off my shoulders for thinking I am the evangelist. And Daryl Johnson, a good friend, gave me the best definition of evangelism I've heard. He said, evangelism is joining a conversation the Holy Spirit is already having with another person. And that gave me such freedom again. So I would say those two things happening in conjunction, realizing I'd become a functional atheist when it came to evangelism, and then also that I'd forgotten that it's the Holy Spirit that beats me to the job. You know, I'm not the first one into the conversation. The Holy Spirit is. And I'm not responsible for getting it right. God just wants me to participate.
0: So that's, that's what you define as success in evangelism. is, is not, not the outcome so much as the, the doing of it. Of, of, the participation. Um, right.
2: Because if you participate, it will happen.
0: Right. And I think that's a problem for some people is that they think, well, I'm going to get involved in this. It's going to turn out really badly. And then I am just a failure. When the truth is actually, no, you're not a failure. The the, the winning is, is doing.
2: Do you know how many people have told me that they feel guilty when you use the word evangelism? Guilty, embarrassed, shameful. And then as soon as you get to the under 40s, they feel like, why bother? Nobody's interested. Or the culture around me, I'm not going to tell them that Jesus is the only way. Are you kidding me? So you're fighting lots of different things going on in your own head and heart. And so we have to get over it. And I promised the Lord, this is about three and a half years ago, I will speak to anyone. I will invite anyone that you put on my heart. And so when I went to run Alpha in February through my church, I said to the Lord, any person you put on my heart, I promise I'll invite. Now that is a very risky prayer and commitment because the Lord held me accountable to it. And so thankfully, in his grac- graciousness, he said to me, call Christine. So I called Christine and I invited her, a friend from university, haven't seen her in a year and a half, decided to invite her to Alpha, called her and said, you wouldn't believe it. I was just thinking about you a week ago. And I was thinking, who's doing good in the world right now? And she said, I thought of you and was really proud. She said, now you're calling me and you're inviting me to take Alpha. She's like, not only do I wanna come, can I bring a couple friends? Oh, that's great. And so some people did say no, but I'm telling you the vast majority said yes, but I think it was because I was saying to God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, if you put any person in my mind, a picture, a name, I promise to invite, even if they say no. And some did. I had one woman text me back and say, God bless you, no. That was the whole text. God bless you, no. But then I had a friend from university I was terrified to invite, and I always say to my homebird, pray that I'd invite her. I'm so nervous about inviting her. There's nothing about her that we've not had a conversation ever about Jesus. Been friends for 25 years. And uh, I finally worked up the courage to invite her. And it was the worst invitation. Like, pathetic. I know that you are in this other faith. I know that you're this. I know we've never really discussed it. You probably are too busy. You... I know you'll likely say no, but I did want to give you the opportunity to say no, you know, bad invitation. And she texted me back and said, I can't believe that after 25 years of friendship, you are finally, uh, working up some courage. (laughs) And she, and, and she said, yes, I'll come check it out.
0: Right. And that's, I mean, that's just proof of what Daryl Johnson is saying that, you know, you you and I often think that God's only working through us and what we're doing, but ultimately that he's arrived on the scene far earlier than we, when we got there.
2: Exactly. So I'm just giving some of my stories because what I don't want anyone to presume, Jeff, about me is that because I work in evangelism, I find it easy or I'm somehow supernaturally gifted to do it. I feel as normal as everybody. I get fearful, I get concerned, but I'm just trying to grow the muscle of faith to be activated in it so I can participate. And what a joy it is to participate with God in this work. So um,
0: how has evangelism changed? You've been involved in it for a long time. I'm, I'm kind of asking what's effective these days. Is Alpha still as effective as, you, as it was before? Our culture's changing, right? Yeah. And so maybe because it was developed in in England, the kind of a post-Christian setting, it's Still had it's had a, a strong effect in the U.S. and Canada and other places. But as Canada and the U.S. have changed as well, are is it still as effective, or have you guys had to tweak it, or what kinds of things are ha, have you found helpful or not helpful, in what you, what you guys are doing now?
2: Well, we're always tweaking it, Jeff. And Nikki Gumbel's on his ninety third consecutive Alpha course. So if you want to know how has it been tweaked, he is sitting in a small group, average age twenty seven of his small group in Central London. Very diverse, uh, very much um, an urban young person, and he every week is sitting there listening to their questions. And so when we update the material, when we think about how we ask questions, what we're designing, it's it's all of us are in an alpha having these conversations that we're bringing real life experience. But Nikki Gumble, who's the the uh, chair of Alpha International, literally ninety third alpha. So. We are always thinking about it. The second thing I want to say is I think it's more relevant than it's ever been. I actually have a conviction that I think Alpha's best years are ahead. And that's not just because I run Alpha Canada, but because what we know about millennials, but particularly what we know about Gen Z, Gen Z, who are the, you know, young 20s into the teenage years. They're McKinsey, who did a big report on them a few years ago, called them True Gen. They are truth seekers and they want to do it in community. Well, hello, Alpha, here's some truth we'd like to offer you as truth. Come do it in community with your friends and have a great time. Laugh, um, cry if you want to, but laugh and enjoy. Have a great time and great food and do it together. So I think actually our Alpha for Youth and Alpha that we've designed for 20-somethings, which is the Alpha Film Series, is on point for what this next generation wants.
0: That's great. That's great. And you found that to be the case uh, when you've been using it in in places? It's not been, yeah, yeah, it's been received well?
2: Yeah. I mean, there's things we we know we need to tweak. I'll tell you, one of the things we're aware of is we need to talk more about why did Jesus live? Mm. The next generation doesn't want to know just about why did Jesus die and how can I pray, but why did Jesus live? What was it about equality, diversity, um, creation care? Like all of these hot button topics. People literally don't know that Jesus cared about these things, that the Bible talks about them. And so that generation, more than any other generation before, needs to know that issues they're passionate about, Jesus led the way in helping us think through them.
0: Yeah, that's great. Um, I'm keeping my eye on our time here. Yeah. And yeah. I, uh, You had mentioned prior to uh, this conversation, when we were right before we, we came on air, that uh, you have been reading uh, some statistics recently, and I. You mm-hmm. also. I also ask you to ask me a question. So you were going to ask me a question, and then we we're going to talk a little bit about some of the statistics that you have just uh, just come out regarding evangelism in Canada. So. Go ahead. Go for your question. Okay,
2: so here I'm going to give you the stats, and then Jeff, I want to hear your response to them. So this is from Signs of Life. Joel Teeson and some other researchers have released a book, and this is their chapter twelve is on evangelism, and it's Canadian research across all the church traditions: Lutheran, Catholic, uh, Reform, Anglican, etc. So the question is about the evangelization, evangelism priority by denomination, as in they're practicing evangelism and its high priority. So my assumption in Canada is the Pentecostals have kind of, that's been a cornerstone for them. We evangelize. They are the number, they're the highest, they're the denomination with the most passion for evangelism, according to this study. And when you look at it, according to their church leaders, 37% of Pentecostal pastors say that evangelism is high or an essential priority it only goes down from there. CMA, Alliance, 33%. Catholic, 28%. Baptist, 22%. That's considering it high or essential priority. And then on the low or not at all, 13% of Pentecostal pastors self-admit that they do that it's low or not a priority at all. 11% of CMA pastors. So I read that, and I've been a bit distraught. How do you respond to hearing that?
0: Oh, well, I, I, I first respond by saying that, uh, as you said earlier, whenever the word evangelism is brought up, I think that there, it's the same thing with prayer, right? We all know that it should be done, it should be done more, and, and yet there are all these barriers for us, and, and especially in the, in, in, as pastors. I think that, quite honestly, I think that in this particular day, most of us pastors are increasingly scared at the secularization of our society. And the hostility that comes in some ways with that, um, yeah. I mean, I've never lived, of course, in, in any time where you know being a Christian will actually get people to not not like you. You know, I, I when I lived in New Zealand, I felt that for the first time, and now in Canada, I'm certainly feeling it. But you know, as somebody who grew up, I mean, I grew up in the '80s, and and you know, was in college in the '90s you know, Christianity in the 80s was still like, oh, you're a Christian, that's great, you know? Oh, cool. And the 90s, it was sort of, well, yeah, okay. You know, I went to secular university, and so it was like, oh, yeah, okay. But, you know, we're still pretty happy about you being Christian or kind of, like, neutral about it. But now it's not neutral. Like, you you are actually an embodiment of the things that we don't we don't like. You're the problem with the world. I think pastors as a, generally feel that, and I think we – we pull back on it. I know that I know that I feel it because I'm very connected with what's going on around, around us. But I, so I'm not just, I don't want to justify that in any way.
2: Is I that just, a fear? Is that yeah, a fear? I, okay. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And I think that what you said, I actually think that it's a doubting of God's ability or doubting that God's actually involved in the lives, quietly in the lives of people who, who are, who you don't know or whatever it's just easy to pull back and not be involved in in things like alpha or in the lives of unbelieving people because you just oh i don't want to get into it with them because they'll get really mad at me and i don't want to be unliked and that kind of thing um yeah i mean that would i think be one of the causes uh but uh, usually yeah it's fear and a lack of faith in, in what god's doing in the world now at least that's the way i would i would see it how would how would you help people
2: uh, well, that's, that's well, that's what I'm thinking about. Like this week, literally have been thinking, Lord, what can I do to help church leaders in Canada? And are you inviting me into that to help church leaders in Canada remember I'm their passion you. for evangelism? Pardon? You
0: need to feel like, yeah, I mean, I mean, part of the reason, Shayla, that I really like, uh, like you and, and was drawn to what you were talking about is that you have an ability to speak about this in an inviting way. I don't oh, feel the guilty you. when I'm talking to you about it. And yet I know deep down inside that it's a challenge for me. And yes. I think that you are the kind of person who has the ability to speak to people and say, right, come on guys, let's let's do this together type thing, instead of, you know, shaking your prophetic hand at people and saying, Look, this is ridiculous.
2: Yeah. Well, I think it's because again, I am so passionate about Jesus and I'm so passionate about people meeting Jesus. I've just seen in my own life how he frees me. And how when I pray with one of my teenage godchildren, or I, um, you know, talk to a friend on a walk right now about Jesus that doesn't know him. And like my neighbor across the street, Jeff, had a terrible experience. And, um, And I just love this woman. And she's a young woman in her 20s. And she tried to take her life during COVID. And she came to see me. I'm sure she turned to some other friends, but she came to see me. And I actually said to her, the only thing I can offer you is Jesus. I have nothing else. You're doing the right things. You know, you're, you've got a psychiatrist, you've got the medical care, your, you, your family know, like all the good things that are practical. But I said, the only thing I can offer you is Jesus. And I knew it, Jeff, to be true. And she just sat across from me and shed some tears. And I told her how, if she ever wanted to invite Jesus in, how to do it. But I said, I can only offer you hope in that way. And so I think for me, when I speak to church leaders, I'm like, don't you see the desperation in the world for Jesus? And can we all get over my fear, my insecurities? because we love him so much and we love our neighbor so much. So I'm not the big wagging finger. Cause I feel like there's four fingers pointing back at me.
0: Yeah. I do wonder how many pastors and I include myself in that believe what you just said, though, that the only thing that we have to offer is Jesus. I, I do think that in some, some ways we've really have bought into the idea that no, there's lots of other things that we, we have, we have to offer, right? We've got programs and other things like that it will help you or whatever. I, I do think it's difficult for, for people living in a secular world who've been taught that you're not supposed to bring religion into the public square uh, to, to do it, to have religious or spiritual conversations with people, it's, and they feel like they're breaking a rule. And yet, what you're saying, and I think is, is fantastic, is that uh, Jesus is so magnificent, and he's the only thing that we can offer, that, it's the, it, that rule needs to be broken that we need, he's worth breaking it for, right? And that's actually what the people need. There's nothing else that they can get and can have.
2: But not only is he worth breaking the rule for, so are the, our friends. So when I, when I think about um, the four friends that took the uh, paralytic and they broke through the roof to get Jesus in, I thought, how many of us would do that? Or not to get their friend into Jesus, I should say. How many of us would do that? Like, that's... Effort. That's acting crazy. You're tearing the roof off another person's home and saying, if only we can do this for our friend. And I, and whenever I read that, I think, Shayla, would you tear a roof off? And usually the answer is no. And I just want to be the kind of person that says, absolutely. Because not only is Jesus worth it, so is my friend. And if Jesus has the water of life, then how could I offer my friend anything less than that?
0: I'm going to let that be the final, final word. You are, you are wonderful. I so appreciate you coming on to this with me. And uh, for all who are listening, Alpha Canada does have a website, alpha.ca, I'm assuming.
2: AlphaCanada.org, And you can find me on Instagram.
0: Okay. Fantastic. You're not a tweeter. You're not Twittering.
2: Oh, I do a little bit of Twitter, but I, I try to be in the more positive sphere of Instagram because Twitter sometimes can be life sucking.
0: Uh, absolutely well god bless you god bless alpha thanks, canada jeff. and uh, we continue to pray that the lord will uh cause your ministry to flourish and his name to go forth to the nations thank thanks, you so jeff. much uh god bless all of you i'll uh, we'll see you next time thanks for listening to conversations with jeff make sure you subscribe to catch up on all upcoming episodes so until next time love god do what you want and don't be stupid